Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 184, where we interview Christine and talk about saving, investing, and purposely increasing your monthly expenses with a new house. Our expenses are drastically going to change when we move into this house, and we just want to be in the best situation possible. I want to be able to work part-time when we have kids. Like I want him to be able to retire young. So I'm thinking if we can save, I mean, I don't know. It's really hard to plan for life that is so unknown. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me as always is my fan of real estate co-host, Scott Trench. These intros you give Mindy with the adjectives, they're always a huge asset to the show. Oof, that's bad. <laughs> Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else to introduce you to every money story because we truly believe that financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business, or simply coast to financial freedom by earning a good income and saving most of it. We'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards those dreams. excited to talk to Christine today because she's, I think she's in a position with a lot of other people where she's doing it right, but feels like she should be doing more or is wondering what the next step is. And I think this is a lot of fun today to talk to her. And and sometimes the answer really truly is, nope, you're doing great. Just keep going. Yeah. I mean, there's four levers in wealth building. You can spend less, you can earn more, you can invest more aggressively, or you can create assets such as through entrepreneurship. And Christine and her fiance are choosing to just generate a lot of income, spend very little of it, and invest it passively. Um, and so, you know, when you when you choose that approach, which is very viable, and you know, it's it's boring, right? You just you just do it, and <laughs> you, you, you you accumulate wealth at a pretty good clip and get rich over a moderate period of years, five, 10 years, and you're done. Um, and so it's like, is it really that simple? Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, Christine's story will show that. And they're they're doing a great job. They've got a high two high income earners about to get married and are set up really wonderfully to begin their lives together and have a family and all those different types of things. It's because they just grind it out and have for several years in a row earning these high incomes and spending very, very little. Like they're earning both like they're earning two minimum wage incomes. Frankly, that's about how they're spending in aggregate combined. So I think it's fantastic. I think it's a great example of what just hitting the fundamentals can achieve for you without doing anything fancy, except for, of course, the, the two close to six-figure, maybe a little over six-figure incomes. You know what I didn't hear when we talked to her today? I didn't hear one instance of, well, I bought this because I deserved it. There was none of this consumerism that can be the difference, really, frankly, between people who are going to hit financial independence and people who might not. They want things that they can't afford or don't need or both. What's the phrase? We buy things that we don't need to impress people we don't like. Yep. I don't think uh, that is Christine and Brian's problem at all. Nope, not at all. Okay. Before we bring in Christine, we should remind our listeners that the contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not tax or legal advice. And neither Scott nor I nor Bigger Pockets is engaged in the provision of legal, tax, or any other advice. You should seek your own advice from professional advisors, including lawyers and accountants, regarding the legal, tax, and financial implications of any financial decision you contemplate. Okay, Scott, let's go tell Christine how to run her life. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. 
Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, supporting local economies, and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors, but if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Take control of your investments and secure a stable 8% annual return today. Visit pinefinancialgroup.com biggerpockets to learn more about the fund. That's pinefinancialgroup.com biggerpockets. Today, we're speaking with Christine. Christine lives in California, which is a notoriously expensive housing market. She's just put down a deposit on a new build house, which can be a great way to get into a home without the bidding war that we have in this current ridiculous housing market that we find ourselves in. She's looking at financial independence to make her future secure while still being able to pursue meaningful work without worrying about how much it pays. Christine, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Let's just jump right into it. Let's look at what money's coming in and where you're putting it. Okay. So currently we take home about $145,000 a year and that it's after maxing out our 401ks. We currently spend about $45,000 on our expenses. That includes rent, groceries, everything. And we save the rest aggressively. Um, you're saying that you bring home 145k after tax and after retirement account contributions. Yes. Nice. Yes. Okay. Great. And you're spending 45. Yes. Currently, until we move into this new build. <laughs> so you're gener- you're generating a hundred, nearly a hundred grand a year in just after tax liquidity after maxing your 401k out in California. Yes. All right. So can can you tell us how how this is happening? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we uh, we rent a room right now. Uh, we pay $600 a month between the both of us. That includes everything, utilities, so that's really helping. And who, who's the both of us? Uh, my fiancé and I. Fiance. I'm just going to refer to him as Brian because that'll be a lot easier. Okay, great. Um, so Brian and I rent a room for $600 a month. Um, we spend about $1,000 a month on food. That's in gro- going out and groceries. We live pretty close to work, so we spend about $200 a month on gas. Um, I think I have a breakout. Transportation, yeah, it's like $6,200 a year, about $2,400 a year for the gym. We go to the gym often. We have a pretty big travel fund, so about six grand a year for that. And then we have like four grand for gifts, and everything else comes out to about five grand. Love it. What, what do you do for a living? So I'm an estimator. I went to school for mechanical engineering, and then I went over to estimating. So I estimate mechanical and plumbing systems in the construction industry. Oh. And then, yeah, it's really fun. <laughs> um, so I get to play in spreadsheets all day, and it's, yeah, definitely something I enjoy. <laughs> so so what, I'm, what I'm hearing is you guys are, before tax, you guys are probably close to two 
about $100,000 salaries, maybe a little more, then after tax, you're able to keep 145 of that after the yes. retirement accounts maxing out. And you guys are just all out in pursuit of this financial independence thing, is what I gather, based on what you just described. Is that right? That's correct, yes. When did that like uh, start for you guys? So we met about four years ago, three and a half years ago, and he had a house. He was renting out a room, and then I moved in a couple months later, and we just really, like, he was financially savvy. I always had, like, a big savings. And then we kind of just looked at our finances together and, like, let's save, like, aggressively because, I mean, we looked at real estate. It doesn't really make a lot of sense to invest in real estate locally. It was just, it makes no sense number-wise. So we're like, okay, we're just going to throw all the money that we can save into VTI, and it's really worked out well over the past three years. So, so you guys got really aggressive about this in partnership to three, four years ago and yes. kind of moved. Can you walk me through what happened when he, he owned a house, but it sounds like you rent a room now? What's going on with that? So he owned a house. He bought it in 2015 for like 296 I moved in in 2018. We lived there for two years. His brother actually moved in with us and rented out two of our rooms. So we're only splitting between the two of us like 600 bucks then, but then his brother wanted to buy a house. And we thought about renting out this house that he was living in and it just didn't make sense. I think we would cash flow a hundred bucks a month. And I was like, I don't want to be a landlord for a hundred bucks a month. That didn't include property management in the numbers. So we sold the house for 385, pocketed that, put that in investments, and then rented a room from his brother when he moved for 600 and were able to save just as aggressively for the last year and a half. So what's been the story here? You know, how much wealth have you guys built or how do you kind of manage your finances? You have 145K in income. It sounds like you're managing them as a household right now. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. Um, we don't, we have separate accounts, but we track things. Look, how much do you have? Okay, cool. You're doing good. Um, and we keep in contact. Like we have a spreadsheet where I have everything, both mine and his, and we split everything pretty much 50, 50. So currently we have 250 in our retirement accounts. We have 370, mostly in VTI. We have 90,000 in bonds, which we're going to liquidate when we put our down payment down. Uh, 50,000 in cash. Wait, wait, hold, hold on. I'm one second here. We have three fifty in the in the after tax brokerage accounts. Three sorry, two fifty in retirement accounts. Three seventy in after tax brokerage accounts. And those yes. are your two biggest buckets. It sounds like. Yes. What were the other ones? Absolutely. Ninety thousand in bonds, and fifty thousand in cash. All right. So you guys are doing great. And can can I? Um, we're getting real personal with all this stuff. Can I ask okay. how old you guys are? <laughs> I'm twenty eight, and he is thirty two. All right. So you guys are just crushing it right now. Um, and it sounds, it's, it's, you said fiance, so you're set to get married. When's that going to happen? I think August. We're All like right. COVID and planning. We wanted to go elope. We don't want to spend a ton of money on a wedding. So we wanted to go to Bali. We we're really excited about that. And yeah, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Well, I, I can uh, I can relate to that one. So yeah. uh, we, we got married in, uh, last year in 2020. So that, okay. Um, well, great. So you got, you have got a net worth of nearly 750 if I'm doing that math, mental math correctly, what's the goal? The goal, I mean, our expenses are drastically going to change when we move into this house and we just want to be in the best situation possible. I want to be able to work part-time when we have kids. Like I want him to be able to retire young. So I'm thinking if we can save, I mean, I don't know. It's really hard to plan for life that is so unknown. And where's your, what's your new housing situation going to be? I think that's a great point that you guys bring up because you can't sustain living in the room, um, after, you know, starting a family most likely, um, which it sounds like you're, you're planning to do. So what's that, what's going to change with your housing situation? So, well, it'll be a three bed, two bath, I don't know if we're going to have roommates. We keep going back and forth. I think if we did have a roommate, we could save nine grand a year right there. That's just one. We've had roommates since we've met, so I don't know if we're kind of ready to like, oh, let's just be on our own, but we're toying around with that idea. And then everything else pretty much stays the same expense-wise. Our mortgage goes up to 37 grand a year, so it's quite a bit. Yeah, but I mean, right now you're saving $95,000 a year. 
you could easily live off one salary and you guys are in great shape with this. You could easily live off one. So you, you know, all of that. It's, it's about how to get to retirement level of wealth as rapidly as possible from here. Right. Yes. You guys already have built the option for you to work part-time if you have kids, for example, with your current right. state. So I guess, I guess there's like a number of questions coming up here, but the overall story is Dang, you guys are doing great. <laughs> this is clearly optimized for for financial independence, and you're generating cash at a rate of a hundred thousand dollars a year, and maxing out your retirement accounts, and just clearly have all of these things optimized here. Yes. So I'm predicting that we'll spend about seventy five thousand dollars a year, so thirty k more when we have the house, and then. In the future with kids, I'm guessing, I have no idea, maybe 125 a year. And so we won't be able to build wealth as rapidly. But, and then another question is like, do we keep maxing out the 401ks or do we put them in brokerage accounts instead? Stuff like that. Those are my questions. What's the best route? Okay. Yeah. Like Scott said, you are doing very well. Nice job. Congratulations. You are probably not going to go broke before you retire. I have a couple of questions though. First of all, I love that you have money dates. It seems like you're constantly talking about money like just as part of your relationship, which normalizes it and makes it more of a, hey, let's work on this together instead of, wow, you're doing everything wrong. And you know, starting off a money conversation, especially when you're the one who's money conscious and the partner is not, can be kind of difficult and can you know, it can sometimes come from an accusatory standpoint. So I love that you guys are talking about money before you get married. I did not. I'm sure Scott did, but we got married at different times. You said you split everything 50-50. Does he make a similar salary? Um, He makes quite a bit more than I do, but okay. I make a substantial amount, so I have no problem splitting it. Okay. Um, and you said $90,000 in bonds. I don't love bonds and you are very <laughs> young. So why is there so much money in bonds? So um, back when they cut the high yield savings account, I thought I was being clever and they saw a 2% yield on bonds. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to keep my money there for a year and let that build up with a little bit higher interest rate than 0.5%. So that's what I was thinking. That's probably done real well for you. Yeah, it hasn't done too bad. <laughs> so that, that's the you know, bonds, like they don't generate much income at 2%, but when the yields decline, you get a huge amount of leverage on that yield decline because, you know, when bond yields drop by 25%, the equity value goes up by 25%. So you probably made a lot of money in that in that move. I think mine did. Um, Brian also did the same thing and he's down 5%, he tells me every day. So that's interesting. <laughs> Sorry, well, Brian, that's it. You can't, you'll never retire now. Um, <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> just a savings account than an actual way to invest. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And I will allow it. Are you going to continue to live in California after you reach uh, financial independence? Because California is expensive. I know, but both of our families are here and it's really important for us to stay close. Okay. That's, that's valid. You are welcome to live wherever you would like. Um, <laughs> it is expensive though. It is expensive. At, you said you estimated $125,000 a year for spending and using the 4% rule or multiplying it by 25, you are, I came up with $3.125 million is what your yes. FI number would be if you were going to continue completely quit working. And you're at 28, you're, you know, not doing bad. What do you have? Like $700,000-ish towards your $3 yeah. million goal. So that's, you know, that's that's doing okay. <laughs> so we have to put a, a lot of that down for our down payment for the house. We're going to put 20% down. Okay. Mm. So that'll to plundle a little bit. <laughs> and how much is the house? Uh, the house is currently 557 without any upgrades. We're conservatively projecting 600. Okay. Okay, so what's great about that though is is that that is a year and a half of savings for you guys. For many people, their down payment is five to ten years of savings, and they're having to come up with that cash. So while it's a lot, yeah, it's just not the stakes are not nearly as high because your fundamentals are so strong in terms of how much cash you're able to generate because of the high incomes. So, like, I think you've got a number of interesting. Well, go go ahead, more on the house. What what what? what, what do you have any questions on the house? Well, we just won't be able to save as rapidly once we get into the house. Like 
our That's expenses right. go up by 30 grand a year. Well, you go from living in one room and paying $600 a month <laughs> to living in a nice house. That's yeah. going to happen. So uh, the good, like the thing is that you guys have obviously gra- done this grind for three years. Just so like a hill you have to climb in this journey and building wealth. And you are on the other side of the hill. You're on the downhill slope because you've built up three quarters of a million dollars in assets and have that tailwind behind you and all those kinds of things that will follow you for the rest of your lives, I bet. And now you can buy the house and feel a lot better about it. Of course, it's an anchor to a certain extent over living in a one bedroom. You know, that's that's in a bedroom, right? That's right. that's that's. A, but I think that that like, come on. If anyone's in a responsible position to buy a house, it's you guys, um, as far as we can tell. We've got a book for you. She said that they don't plan on moving because both of their families are there. You you mentioned having a roommate going back and forth with that. Have you considered short term renting? one of the rooms in the property as a way to sort of have roommates, but sort of not have roommates? I've kind of looked into that. I don't think that the nightly fee is really worth having a bunch of strangers in our house. Okay. So it's like probably 60 bucks a night. (laughs) Oh, okay. Are there any people that you know that you would rent longer term? I think so, but I'm not 100% sure. Okay. So maybe if that person comes along, we'll definitely consider it. Okay. And just because you have a tenant for a while doesn't mean that you always have to have a tenant or a roommate forever. You right. could just, you know, the first couple of months or the first couple of years just boost your yeah. savings a little bit. Definitely. You, you kind of gave us a ballpark of like 40, 50 a year in annual spending. Is that right? Yes, currently. And, and you're saying that you're just going to go up to 125K a year. Can you walk us through that projection? Yes. So that's, I'm guessing how much kids are going to cost. I have no idea. So I think about uh, two grand a month per kid. So 48 grand a year. (laughs) I have no idea. So that would put you at like 98. Well, I I just think, I think that that's, that is the kind of the key thing. That's the key bogey in this is because you're, you're currently at 750 in wealth, but that seems so small, I'm sure, in the context of early retirement when your number is three and a half, 3.2 million that you need to get to, right? And now people listening to that are thinking that's a crazy statement, but that's probably what's going through your guys' head right. in terms of this, this wealth building journey. And the bogey in here is how much that spending is actually going to be. And 2,000 per month per kid seems really high, <laughs> Maybe. but I don't know what I don't know about this. So I don't know. Mindy, what do you, what do you think about the, the cost per kid in this one? Well, I do think it sounds high. I don't spend that much for my two kids, but I love that you're overestimating because if you think it's going to be 2000 and then it ends up being 500, great. You all of a sudden have $1,500 a month extra in your budget. If you think it's going to be 500 and it is 2000, all of a sudden you're scrambling. So I I think you're overestimating, but I also think that's great to overestimate because what are you going to do if it only costs 500? You're just going to put that $1,500 into some sort of investment, right? So, you know, it's better to have extra money. Um, I want to know about your investments themselves. You said 250 in retirement accounts. I'm assuming Mm -hmm. that is a 401k or an IRA, a pre-tax investment. 370 after-tax brokerage. Is any of that in a Roth? So, no, the retirement, the 250 actually does include some Roths. Not a lot, maybe 40, 50 grand of that is in Roth IRAs. Okay. Um, And do you continue to max that out every year? Yes, we both do. You are going to hit up on an income restriction soon. And I think there's... yes. Uh, I would love for somebody to correct me if I am incorrect on this, but I looked it up online and it's $139. I'm sorry, $139,000 in salary for a single person, but only $206,000 for married. So you're not currently, and that's your adjusted after you've contributed to your other uh, accounts. But you're not you're not hitting up on that right now, but it sounds like you could potentially hit up on the I can't contribute to my Roth anymore, which is a great problem to have. Well, they, they may be hitting up on that because that's 145K after tax. So they're probably right in the bubble. If doing, we were married, you know, right? Oh, yeah. If yeah, you were married, if it's married. 206. Yeah. When you're not married, it's 139 each, which is better. Um, so, so one of them is probably under, one of them is probably over, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So definitely look into that and continue to max the Roth as 
as long as we can. Yeah, as long as you can. That yeah. that is um especially at your age. I really like when I see young people maxing out the Roth because that just continues to grow tax-free forever. And then you take yeah. it out uh, to buy a house. You can take it out to the principal out, which I wouldn't do because you're sitting pretty elsewhere. Um, but you can take it out for medical reasons. You can take it out to pay for college. Um, right. My 14-year-old, I want her to start a pet sitting business and have everything go through the business so she can contribute to her Roth IRA. Um, at 14, which would be amazing. I wish I would have done that. Um, But this isn't my show. This is yours. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. Listen up, business owners. Here's some quick math. Fewer costs equals more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Don't let rising costs sink your business's growth. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash bpmoney. That's netsuite.com slash bpmoney. netsuite.com slash bpmoney. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When I, when I zoom out on your portfolio and mm-hmm. what's going on here, I see two obviously capable individuals earning huge salaries, 
and playing a tremendous amount of defense here. You're, you're, your costs are completely under control and you bring in what appear to be relatively stable salaries, but with limited upside. Your career, I mean, and when I say limited upside, you're probably going to earn lots more over your careers. You know, you're still early in the career and those, those will probably go up. But I wonder, have you guys considered getting much more aggressive about your position because your your position you have cash you mm-hmm. have a year at least a year of expenses right now mm-hmm. one of you could stop working and focus full time on investing um, or entrepreneurship which would you know create a risk in you know in, in in the short run but potentially far greater outcomes in the long run with that have you guys considered that or discussed that at all so my fiance is a CPA, kind of already owns his own business within a partnership. So I think that he might branch off maybe in the future. I'm not really sure. Um, so that would be one avenue. I personally don't have any desire to become an entrepreneur, but investing, yeah, I mean, passively is kind of my route. I don't know that I would want to explore other opportunities. Fair enough. I, the reason I asked that is because that's one way to really accelerate the gap between that that boat, that $3 million moving target number that we have here. The other way, given what you just said, is probably really kind of rethinking and doing it and investigating what that baseline spending you need to work towards will be, yeah. because that can move your target from, you know, if you can move that target down to one and a half million, and that's reasonable, mm-hmm. that's three, two years away, three years away from, from you versus 10 years away, whatever your model is telling you on the, on the, um, uh, financial independence side at one, 125,000 annual spending. Right. Yes. I think it's 12 years last time I checked and that would be three, 3 million, I believe. Yeah. I, I, I think that that number is way too conservative and that you need you should still be conservative in thinking through that, but you should really investigate that number and boil it back down mm-hmm. um, because probably one of you guys is going to be able to work, generally speaking, for a long time. So I, I don't know. I, I just think you're closer than you think okay. given your situation with this. I don't know. Mindy, what do, you, what do you think? No, I agree with that. I think you are closer than 12 mm-hmm. years. And what I have found in my personal experiences with money is you start off with a little bit and then it grows a little bit and then it grows a little bit and then it hits a certain point and it just grows like crazy and the the like the snowball it starts rolling down the hill and then it just carries so much steam the first what is it the first million takes you 10 or 15 years to accumulate but then the next million is like two years because right. you're continuing to add to it, but it's also growing on its own. Um, so I don't think that even if you keep the 3 million target, I don't think that it will take 12 years. Of course, uh, past performance is not indicative of future gains in the stock market. <laughs> um, but it it does, if you look over the history of the stock market, it goes up and to the right. Um, what are you investing in? Is it strictly- VTI or the Fidelity equivalent. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned potentially working part time and Brian owns his own business or partnership. So he yes. could technically go part time whenever he wanted to. Um, yeah. I think that also helps with the the end number like you. I, I need three million. Well, you need three million, assuming no, you're not generating any other income. Are there right. opportunities in your estimator? world for part-time work? Because it seems like if you're good, they would work around what your schedule. Yes. I do have someone in my office who works four days a week. So that looks really enticing. Um, and then they also have talked about like hiring on estimators as contractors, which I think is really cool. So I could work totally my own hours, my own schedule. And that would be a good like part-time retirement gig. Yeah, that would be. If you enjoy what you're mm-hmm. doing, you... Mm-hmm. What is that phrase? If you enjoy what you do, you never work a day in your life. But if it's fun <laughs> to do, it doesn't, you know, it's not so hard to get into the office. That's right. How, how, um, are you guys like pretty, pretty, like, like when, when are you buying the new house? Why or when? When? Oh, September is supposedly when it is complete. Okay. So you've already, okay. Sorry. Yeah. So that's going to happen there. Um, so your life is about to get 
you're about to begin reaping the benefits of the grind that you've put in place yeah. in September, August, um, as, as a couple of big events transpire, the getting married and the, and the house. Um, yeah, I, I mean, if you're not, if you're not really interested in entrepreneurship and you're not really interested in more active investing, then it's kind of just keep doing what you're doing. And none of the like tweaks really make that big of a difference. Like, do we invest in the 401k or the Roth? I like the Roth a little better personally. Um, I'm in a high income bracket. So I, the 401k on paper would make a lot of sense. And you guys are in California um, where you have a high income bracket and the state and local taxes that are really high. Um, so that kind of makes you think the 401k is an option. But I, I just personally wonder if taxes are going to be higher in 20, 30 years than they are today. And, you know, if you guys are nearly millionaires at average age of 30, um, then, you know, you're probably going to be at a high income tax bracket come retirement age, unless you really screw it up. Um, so I think, <laughs> I think, you're, you know, the Roth may make sense there, um, but 401k is not a bad option. And we're talking about splitting hairs there really, I think in the, in the, at the, at the end of the day with a lot of these things. Right. So I, I, I just think that the answer is you're gonna have to keep doing what you're doing, but I, I really don't think you should keep the, I don't, I don't think you need to keep the, what clearly on paper speaks to me as a intense grind, mm-hmm. um, with your finances. I know it cause I've been there and done that, um, for years in a row you're over the hump. You don't need to do that anymore to continue building wealth. And so I would just consider like, hey, I'm going to relax and chill out about this house. Yeah, I'm going to get a housing expense in here, but I've done the work to put me on the other side of the snowball with that. And I can back into a much more reasonable number here that doesn't require me to grind and stress out about this. You know, you can't buy yourself into a place where they, where you're, you're back into stress because of the, the spending with that. But I don't think you need to go all out in order to, coast to retirement here very early. You could accelerate it, of course, by with entrepreneurship or active investing. And you're in a perfect position to do that if you so choose, but that doesn't sound like you're interested. So. Yes. Um, yeah. I don't know if that's helpful, but that, that's my take <laughs> on it. I don't have anything to Compliment add because Scott <laughs> is correct. You're doing really well. And, you know, but once you discover financial independence, you're like, oh, I have to get there. Jacob Lund Fisk from Early Retirement Extreme ate beans and rice and lived in like the basement of somebody's crawl space or something. Like he really was extreme in his pursuit of financial independence. It doesn't have to be that way. And if what you're and so doing- are they. so are they. They live in a one bedroom for $600 a month in California. That's our right? sacrifice. And that's great. And, <laughs> and I am completely complimentary of that. I think it's wonderful. And you guys now have optionality for the rest of your lives that very few people in human history have ever had. So that's that's like, I think it's I think it's awesome. Sorry, Mindy, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just excited <laughs> no. about that. I think, I think more people should do what they're doing and try to earn that high. Like clearly some a lot of things over a, a decade have transpired to make this possible where like good grades, getting a degree, uh, a certain degree, you know, dedicated work in the field to earn average $100,000 salaries and living and extreme defense on the on extreme defense on the defensive side. What well, that doesn't make any sense. But, you know, like the the the, the, the low, low spending. So, lots of good things transpired to get here and it was it is an all-out approach. It is extreme what you guys are doing and it's awesome. Sorry. <laughs> Continue. I think that she has had the conversations with her fiance and made the decision, this is what we find important. You want to go to the gym. Somebody could see $2,400. Oh, that's a lot of money. Well, that's $200 a month. That's not, I don't think that's anything crazy for a gym membership, especially if you use it. Now, if you were like, oh, I really hate going to the gym, but I paid $2,400 a year for the gym. Well, you should cut that out because that's not doing anything for you. Um, you have a travel fund. There are people who are pursuing financial independence. They're like, nope, can't spend any money on travel. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it seems like you are choosing what's important to you, spending where it counts and not spending where it doesn't count. And that's kind of like everything we preach here. So I think Christine is the poster girl for financial independence. <laughs> Thank you, Mindy. <laughs> I think you're killing it. And I think I you are 
uh, as you know, if you if you want to spend a little bit more on something, it'll be okay because you know that that's just one thing. I wouldn't recommend going out and getting an all new wardrobe, but a brand new car that you lease. <laughs> A uh, cell phone that's, you know, $300 a month with all the things and, you know, getting the big package on the TV. And it doesn't sound like that's what you want. So no. continue doing what you're doing and you'll make it. Yeah, we'll get there. If Definitely you don't make it, there. there's a catastrophic <laughs> thing that happens and nobody else will make it either. So that's not, yeah, really, I agree. That's not really helpful or hopeful. <laughs> what? What what are some you know besides besides complimenting your great work so far and telling you eh, it doesn't really matter on the four hundred one k versus the Roth take your guess about where tax rates are going to be thirty years from now um, you know uh, what what where can we help you uh, if there's anything else that you want to discuss here so I'm not allowed to get a new car that's totally out of the picture <laughs> you're you're almost a millionaire you can millionaires <laughs> can buy new cars. Okay. So I probably will, you know, (laughs) those things are going to add up over time, but I guess, you know, I'll try to be smart about it. Um, I currently am doing 50% towards the Roth 401k, 50% towards traditional um, in my 401k. So I think that's a good idea. That's a good hedge there. Yeah. Uh, Mindy looks like she has some words of wisdom, but is muted. I quit. I quit. That's the end. Um, I like that split because you're reducing your taxable income while also growing tax-free in the Roth. Um, And at your age and your income level, I think that's a good solution. Um, I'm struggling with the, should I reduce my taxable income or should I contribute to a Roth 401k? And I'm not really sure what the answer is. I have I have a bunch of questions around that. So, but this isn't my show. This is your show. But I like what you're doing. Thank you. Um, yeah. In your application, you mentioned that you were saving for um, retirement, financial independence, and kids' college. Are you doing anything towards kids' college right now? I mean, there's no, no kids. I'm gonna so. wait. I'm going to wait till they're born and then I think I'll start up some funds. Um, and I don't know if I'll have like a, a joint kids fund, like a 529 plan, or I'm not really sure how I'm going to approach that or if it's just going to be like a brokerage account with their names on it to give more flexibility. What do you guys well, just, think? Just because we're, we're bigger pockets, one, one option that I really like that Brandon, um, I don't know if invented, but I think... Uh, maybe has made more popular is the idea of like, this be a, this is a good case for real estate, I think, because you put down 60K on a rental property and you put on a 15 year note and you don't really cash flow from it, but you let the property just kind of pay down the note and self-capitalize. And by the end of 15 years, when your kid's 15, you have a paid off property. And then you cash out, refi it on a 30 year note. And that is what you, is used for the kid's college fund. Um, and, you know, after the 30 years, that note gets completely paid down. And now you funded the second generation as well with one rental property, which I think is a really powerful, intuitive concept. You can, you know, with that. So something to consider uh, if you like real estate, but otherwise the 529 plan will work just as well. <laughs> no, I like that idea. That's a good idea. Yeah. I'm going to link to that article in the show notes because uh, that's a really fun article. Brandon wrote, how I used real estate to pay for my newborn daughter's college education. And he lists out some really great points. Scott did a a nice little overview of that. Uh, Christine, any last questions before we uh, kind of wrap up here? There's one thing we're a little nervous about is uh, locking in an interest rate. We've noticed that they kept climbing. They were like at 2.875, I think in January. And uh, we don't get to lock ours in until probably August or July. And they're climbing pretty rapidly. That is... Oh, I hear what you're saying. So the Fed is meeting actually today when we're recording. It's going to meet later today. They are expected to say that they are not going to raise rates till like 2023. But I, you know, clearly it hasn't happened yet. So I can't predict what they're going to say. Um, the rates have been climbing and rates were in the absolute toilet for a long time. And I guess that's not really in the basement. Can't say toilet because toilet implies bad. And they were awesomely low. Um, Historically, 3% is still an 
awesome rate. I'm at 3.5. I couldn't take advantage of the refinancing window um, last year because I just refinanced and they want you to wait six Mm -hmm. months before you refinance again. And by the time I was ready to refinance, it didn't make sense again. Um, So I lost out on that ridiculously low rate, but I still have a 3.5% interest rate, which is the second lowest rate I've ever had on any property ever. So it is tough to watch these rates go up. Um, Fannie and Freddie just came out with more guidance that they're not going to buy as many um, second homes and investment property in uh, loans. So you'll see rates going up even more for those as well. But I think you can rent, I'm sorry, I think you can lock in 60 or 90 days out. I would connect with a lender and just continue to ask them, hey, September is about to happen or you know we can close in September. When can I when can I lock in my rate? Um, I'm wondering if you could close sooner on the property to lock in the rate. And I don't do a lot of new build purchases, so I don't know what that entails. I always thought you had to wait till it was actually done before you could close. So I would reach out to the lender. Um, reach out to. Are you working with the lenders? I'm sorry. I would reach out to the builder. Are you working with the builder's lender? Not necessarily. If they have the okay. best options, I think we're going to shop rates a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Sure I, the best one. I have found that the builder's lender in many cases will offer so many incentives that it makes sense to go with them. They have a credit for right. closing costs or a credit for, you know, other things that uh, other lenders can't compete with. But that's not always the case. I have had other lenders who will be able to beat the rates or beat the closing costs or both the uh, the builder's lender. So I would definitely shop that around. Um, I have a great lender. I'm going to send you his contact information when we're done here. He's really good at just explaining the options better than I am. Are, okay, are you great. being offered the option to lock in rates right now? No. Uh, they said 60 days. At least the builder lender did say 60 days. Yeah, I think this is a good one to crowdsource. Let's let's post this in the Facebook group and see if anybody, some of the, we have a couple of lenders in there and see if anybody knows about options to do this. My, my belief is that uh, it'll be a non-standard thing to lock in a rate this far in advance of your closing. Um, it's possible they exist, but my guess, not knowing anything, um, we'll see what the discussion brings, <laughs> is that uh, uh, that will be some form of option that you'll have to pay for. And and my my belief is that typically buying options to lock in rates or you know calls or puts in any any type of industry is typically a loser for you. You are in a position where you can afford to buy what is effectively insurance, but insurance is typically a good bet for the insurance provider, the option seller, not the option buyer, the insurance buyer. So I think mathematically or statistically if I'm right at all on that hunch. It'll be a little bit of a loser to try to lock that in this far in advance because you're paying for that uncertainty, the prediction get that uncertainty. But um, you you are certainly in position where that would not it will not be like a, ma- a major consequence if that option even exists. So let's find out from the Facebook group and see if I'm right um, on that and uh, if that option even exists in the first place. Yep. So hop on over to the Facebook group. I will have posted a question that I'm holding on at the top and see what we can crowdsource for you, Christine. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, Christine, I really appreciate your time today. This was a lot of fun. This was super helpful. I think that um, it can be kind of like, okay, what do I do next? And just continue on. Maybe, you know, if you, if there's an opportunity to do something that you really want to do, it's okay to do it because you've set yourself up for so long with such a strong position. Yep. All right. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for coming on and sharing this. This is great. Yeah. Okay. And we will talk to you soon. Okay. That was Christine. Scott, what did you think? I think it was great. I, I, it was a shorter episode. We didn't have that much advice for Christine, right? I mean, the, the decisions are, hey, do you, do you, what do you think about this bond, this money in bonds? What do you think about this money in the 401k versus the Roth? I mean, these are complete guesses over 30-year periods about what is going to happen with interest rates. Are they going to continue dropping and the bond portfolio is going to go up faster than stocks like they did for a period of 2020 when interest rates fell? You know, um, I don't know. I think 
generally, Mindy and I's bet is on equities over the long run over bond returns. Um, and I think, generally speaking, I kind of have a, a slight lean towards the Roth, but who knows uh, how that's going to turn out over 30 years, <laughs> whether you're going to be happier you put money into 401k versus the Roth. So it's like, I, I think she's just going to crush it on the journey to FI and really just needs to peg how much spending she thinks she's going to need to do in five, 10 years. Um, and that number is super high right now, which I think is a good conservative estimate. But, you know, I think that that could come at the expense of nearly a decade of not really reaping the benefits of the incredible position that they've already built. So I think it'll be interesting to see what she decides. I think so too. And, you know, I love that she's estimating high because like I said, you can always spend less, invest more, and then, you know, keeping an eye on what you think you'll need and keeping an eye on where you're at is a really great way to just be conscious of what's going on with your money. Of course, she can continue to work for another decade. She probably won't have to. And I'm excited for what the future brings for Christine because I know she's going to kill it. Absolutely. Should we get out of here, Scott? Let's do it. Scott and I are really having a good time with this Finance Friday. And if you would like your finances reviewed, please apply at biggerpockets.com slash finance review. We would love to look into your finances and see if there's any suggestions we can make for you. From episode 184 of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, he is Scott Trench and I am Indy Jensen saying, be sweet, parakeet. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With the Bigger Pockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.